You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We're here to tell you what it takes for a boy to become a man. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, pastor of Redemption Hill Church, located in the Des Moines metro. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cornfield Theology. I'm pretty stoked about this one today, folks, because I have a good friend of mine. Eric McIntyre, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. Obviously, we we were talking a lot before we hit the record button, but, uh, you know, could you explain, like, how do we know each other? So, the short version of that is... um, God's grace <laughs> yeah. through uh, Trinity Fellowship Churches. I'm a member of Grace City Church of the Northeast. Yeah. I'm on the preaching team there. And yeah. we met in Apex, North Carolina. Yep. Um, we had a brief conversation. We realized that we had a lot in common, um, even though we were very different. Yeah. And then we started vibing and connecting and vibing. Yep. And kind of like, a, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's Paul and Barnabas or if it's David and Jonathan yeah. or Cain and Abel. So we're kind of like a bunch of those. <laughs> that went dark. And um, <laughs> we've kept on talking and building from there. And, um, yeah. you know, I've been out there and yeah, hopefully you came you'll be out here. Yeah. Loved it out there. Got to get back again to see some horses. Yeah, man. And um, I basically, you, you know, throw a lot your way during the week. I yeah, feel like I love I'm it. texting you almost it goes daily. Both ways, yeah, yeah. Hey, exactly. I, I think what people probably don't realize. Okay, so more context to fill that out. You live in Northeast Philly. You're an urban guy. Um, how else would you describe? You know, kind of your context, your cultural context. Yeah, I would say that I, I am a a urban raised, um, kind of now almost suburban living person who 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 kind of bounces between in terms of ministry context okay church planted in urban i would say get the ghetto yeah, <laughs> yeah. came of age in 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 the the north philadelphia um around the projects did a lot with you know homeless outreach drugs all that kind of stuff and so now i live in the northeast but i i minister across all the different whether it's mm-hmm. rural suburban urban um and so i've developed relationships across denominations thank god and across you know, our city in Philadelphia. Yeah. And so I, I, the funny thing is I consider myself like an urban nerd, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I, yeah. I'm black, but I don't play basketball. Don't like it. Um, you know, I mind crypto, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to learn to become a developer. I love the blockchain. And so I'm one of those people that's like, don't judge a book by the cover, yeah, you right. know? And yet, you know, I've listened to NWA, um, yeah. Like you, if I could put you out back, there. Yeah, and, uh, way back in the day, growing up playing basketball, Beastie Boys, NWA, that was just part of the basketball culture, you know, things like that. Exactly. And so now I I lift heavy, I train a lot, and I blast a lot of Tupac, yeah. and I love Jesus. You yeah. know, there's a contradiction, and yeah. uh, <laughs> that's me. So, like, so we contrast that with who I am. Um, I'm white, middle America. Uh, we, we used to live across from a cornfield. Now my wife and I live with horses all around us. We have, like we can't see it on the camera here, but to my right, I guess if you're watching, it looked like the left. There are horse stalls right here, like on the right there. 
horse stalls. Um, we were outside and the flies got crazy, but if you, I was recording this outside, there's just horse pastures all around me. And so I'm kind of rural, man. Uh, I do, I do pastor in a suburban church and a quickly growing area in the Des Moines Metro. And, and I'm bringing up kind of our differences in terms of our cultural context, because we're going to be hitting on a particular topic that um, transcends cultural context. Now, surely the manifestation of the topic at hand, biblical masculinity, uh, is going to look different. It's going to have different issues that we're wrestling with. But there's certain principles that we are grounded in that we're trying to convey to a culture where we have toxic masculinity. You hear that buzzword that gets thrown around all the yeah. time, down with the patriarchy, things like that. And and you and I, who are very different, uh, great friends, I consider you a great friend. Yes. And and we're we're looking at our context and being like, whoa, hold the phone. Scripture has something to say to rural John here in Iowa. And scripture has something to say about biblical masculinity to, you know, whoever in urban Philadelphia. And so we've been dialoguing about this for quite a while. And I finally was like, dude, we just got to do a podcast on that. Mm -hmm. And we really, at at the intro, I said, we want boys to become men, you know, and uh, everyone who's born, every, every boy who was born is a boy. And, but what we're seeing more and more is that, there's a delay in, in terms of maturity, and that's a problem. Right. Uh, marriage statistics bear this out. Uh, mm-hmm. Responsibilities being shucked. Uh, they don't want to be responsible for a wife or children. Right. Uh, so we look, go back to Jenna. We'll get, we'll get into more of this. And so we're, we're seeing some things that are, that are similar in our different contexts, and we want to address it today. What does it mean to be masculine? Look, we'll ask the question, is it okay to be masculine? Right. Right. A lot of people are going to say no. Right. And I suspect I'll get into the history of that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, I hope I hope people are seeing the similarities in terms of the observations we're making. Anything you want to add, add to that? No, I, I think it, it. I will just add how important the conversation is. Um, because if we assert that God created men and women in his image mm-hmm. with a specific design, and we lose um, his design and his attention for each gender. Mm-hmm. And what we're what we're really messing with is God's mission on earth, God's um, prescription for thriving of the family and society and community. Yep. Um, and, and then and we can get into this later, but we're also weakening the church significantly. So if I'm a Christian. I don't have a choice whether I care about um, masculinity, you know, within the church and in the home. And it is sometimes it can be sensitive because some people have suffered, whether it was at the absence or the abuse side, you know, of a father, male role model, sometimes church hurt. Right. And so we want to get that right so we can renew our minds, find healing where necessary, but pursue um, what is God's intended and good role. What God designed is good. And that's what we want to see in all of us. And after all, yeah. we want to be better. men. that's why I'm here. I just want to yeah. be better. Absolutely, and now I, I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna rail against uh, feminism. We're gonna yeah. get there. First wave feminism, second wave feminism, third wave feminism, fourth wave. I would say feminism. Uh, there's a place for that, but I also I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to all the complementarians out there. Like 
we're complementary. I think we would probably use that theological yeah. term to describe what we understand about men and women. To my comp- complementarian brethren, something sometimes what you do too quickly when you talk about men and women is like, look at the roles. Let's just right. get to the, get to the roles right now. This is what a woman does in the church and the home. This is what a man does in the church and home. And what we're not doing, which is the disservice and which is the problem, is that when you said it, we're not going back to Genesis 1. We're not going back to Genesis 2 to see what the foundation is for any God-given role for a man and woman. Right. And so I think some of the confusion within complementarian circles is that we're, we've become so stupidly obsessed yes. with, well, can a woman preach? Well, I got a, I got an opinion on that. No. Mm-hmm. Um but why? Well, the, look at right. the, look at this passage from Second, you know, Timothy, mm-hmm. or First Timothy two. No, we let let we can get there, but let's let's first back up the train and see the foundation which which God laid. Um, that that would be my observation of complementarians. Do you have anything to add to that? I would say briefly, yeah we we've got to be able to not be reactionary in how we're complementarian. Right. We want to be able to expose the egalitarians or say, here's what yeah. you shouldn't be doing. But shame on us if we don't know. Here's what we should do and acknowledge some of the faults of the past. Right. We we do need to make sure that everyone in the church has a place. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not just men should learn the Bible and women should cook. Right. There's a place for everybody to learn, take, you know, have exposition of the scripture, everybody to mm-hmm. serve in the church. And right. so we've got to embrace that. And so right. what most complementarians should understand is. First of all, what do I believe is a complementary? You yeah. can't just, you know, when somebody raises an issue, you can't just go look up desiring God and say, okay, <laughs> I got what does Piper article. say? Right. What does Carson say? That's my point. Yeah. Well, well, no. You know, how does this work out in your in your context? What do you do if you're in a city where it's all single moms? How do you lead ministry? Or how do you lead ministry in a place where there are men and women and you're trying to work that out? We've got to understand how these things relate to the gospel and God's purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, we got to be intentional about our packaging and how we interact. Stay up Twitter and work within the church to figure these things out. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to Twitter for advice, um, I got a word for you. Knock it off. <laughs> I saw this great quote on Twitter. Okay, I'm just going to stop you right there, boy. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're not talking about feminine femininity, biblical femininity, if I could say it that way talking about masculinity. So just to be clear, if you're like, Hey, I want a message on that. You want to hear a podcast on that? Uh, drop us a note and you know, we'll love to take up new topics. Uh, we're talking about masculinity. So I'm going to go back to Genesis two. You, you referenced Genesis one, a God created man and woman in his image and likeness, really important. God, even in that passage, Genesis one, 16, 17, 18, God doles out responsibilities for men and women. That's really important to understand. Um, God didn't create us to do nothing. He created us for something. Uh, but we also move over into Genesis 2, and I want to read this. Uh, when no, a bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So no no man to work the ground. We can talk about what's going on between Genesis 1 and 2. That's a conversation for another day. But God has creation. There's no one to work the ground. So um, a mist uh, is verse eight of chapter two, and the mist was going up from the land and um, was watering the whole face of the earth and then the ground. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust, right? And he breathed into his nostrils and gave him life. And then the man became a living creature. So we got man, basically. Boom. There you go. Here's where I'm getting to. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. 
And there he put the man he had formed. Now, why did God put him in the land? Well, for what purpose? The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Here's where I'm going to hit the pause button. I'm going to let you um, share. It seems to me there's a generation of men who do not want to work, who do not look at what God has given them, and they they have no uh, frame of reference to work and keep. Go ahead. And I'll and I'll add to that two things. Um, in some sense, I heard somebody put it some way yesterday. There was one generation, probably ours that there was the extreme of the rebellious young man. Mm. Um, I want to get out, have my own things, mm. you know, I'll do it my way. And now we have the resignation generation mm. of young men that are just like, I, you know, I'll live in a basement, stay at my mom's house. I'll take the easy way out, or I'm just going to wait until I find my purpose. Right. Um, I think in some sense, when, when we're just dealing with the church, we tend to live out of the great commission, and we don't think much of that cultural mandate in Genesis. Mm-hmm. In other words, we think about this spiritual, have a relationship with Jesus. We got to bring people to Christ. And we forget that we are here to subdue, to fill the earth, to be innovative and creative. Yeah. You're about to say something? No, I would say vocation, right? Right. We don't have a good theology of vocation within the church at times. Right. Especially in evangelicalism. Yeah, exactly. And so what has happened is we have a generation in some sense that as they came of age, they were in houses where mom and dad hate their jobs, right? They don't mm-hmm. see flourishing. They don't see thriving. They yeah. don't see, you know, there's conflict, but I'm, I'm here because God has me here for a purpose. And they say, I don't want that. So mm-hmm. you look at Instagram, you look at TikTok, you look at Twitter. What do they say? Work is for suckers. That's for sheeple. You know, be an entrepreneur. So why, we have the fake entrepreneur. We yeah, have an LLC. You get all the credit you can, but you don't really have a business model, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody and their mom's an entrepreneur now because in a sense, they're saying what I saw didn't work. What can I embrace now that can that can be aligned with my purpose rather than how did God design me? Mm-hmm. And how did God design, you know, society, right? Because they'll look at justice and they'll say all kind of justice issues and they don't realize um, our vocation and how we fit into that cultural mandate addresses all that, yeah. right? And so there's so much to be unpacked that I think in the beginning, I'll say briefly, um, the woke crowd and the theonomy crowd were asking questions that were good this way. I just think they found the wrong answers in some right. sense. But we should take those questions. And, and so for every young man, I would, I, would, I would plead, wrestle with these things, right? So, and I'll just share with my story how I got it. Um, Abraham Kuyper. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's and great. then Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Yes. Um, you know, years ago, I found myself as an undergraduate in Paris, France. My friends persuaded me that communism was the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, government had the answer. People are kind of sheep. They can't think for themselves. Mm-hmm. And Solzhenitsyn blew my mind. Um, yeah. And then I got into understanding sphere sovereignty. And then later on, Christian personalism. I think those are things we should have conversations on because that will lead to understanding vocation, marketplace. Um, there's something I need as a man to create and to know that I've built something that's separate from the money that I make. Right. Right. And sometimes the idea is I need to make money so I can be free from work and free from a schedule. When in reality, I'm expressing my masculinity by building and providing and creating. Yeah. So let me give you a scenario. Let's say I come to you, Eric, and I'm like, hey, man, listen, you know, I got a family. 
and I got, I got, a, I got a wife and I got a kid and I'm really passionate about, um, building cars. I don't know, but I can't get a job in that. And, you know, I got offered this job working in a mine, you know, it's nine to five lunch pill type work, but I really don't want to do it. And I know I really can't get into this field that I have a passion about. How would you counsel me? Hmm. On surface, I'm going to say, we're going to talk about your relationship with your wife. Yeah. Um, because normally when I hear every time I've ever heard that, let's just say, I'm going to put it out. I'm not going to put anybody's personal stuff out there. Yeah. There's this sense in which my wife and I are partners and we're building this life and I want to be fulfilled, mm -hmm. right? I want to be fulfilled in a very individualistic sense and not fulfilled by providing and caring for and dying for right. my wife and my children. Right. Right. And so what I'm always going to say to that young man, don't, don't get rid of the dream, right? Yep. Pursue it in your part-time. That's your 5 PM to 9 PM time. Right, right. Right. You go out and work, you care for your family, you love them well. Um, and, and if, if, if the, if the Lord makes a way you pursue it, Sure. But your priorities have to be right. And God will work because a lot of times it always is lined up with, I don't know God's will and God's timing. Wait, what's God's priorities first? Yeah, Love yeah. your family, love yeah. God, right? And then if there's an opening, you prepare for it and you thank God and you go through it. But you and I are not here um, for this kind of individualistic, I want to feel this sense of purpose. And reality, what it is, is I want to feel comfort. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want the thing that makes the most sense. And I always tell um, many millennials, and I forget the group that's coming after them, yeah. go the route that causes you to walk by faith. Right. Because a lot of times that's the, that's the journey that's going to grow you, not um, here's what's going to free up my schedule or here's what's going to make me feel good. And it's like, really, you change your degree, your major four times yeah, in yeah, college. Yeah. You don't know what you really want. Yeah, right. Exactly. You need to develop character, um, your ethics. Um, I, I, I heard there was a guy I used to listen to. He called it your dime, um, your discipline, your integrity, your morals and your ethics. Right. Mm -hmm. You can do that at McDonald's. Right. You know, yeah. and then as you build character and your formation, you can move into anything else. But you need that before you go after the money. Yeah, that's exactly right. At the root of of, you know, the fictitious individual that I created is selfishness. Yeah, honestly. And we do have the answer. We we you know, what is God's will for me? You know what? I actually have an answer for you on that. It's to provide. It's to protect. It's to be a man of integrity and self-control and it's, and it's to care for your wife and your kids. And, and by whatever the ever means where you have an honest character, a godly character, you do it. Right. And we think about what it, what it takes for a boy to become a man. It's understanding God's priority for you, not your priority for you. And so you do what it takes with biblical character um, to do those things. If you, if that means working at McDonald's, as hard as that might be for you, you go do it. It might be the only job available, but man, if you're going to put a roof over, over your kid's head and your wife's head, and you're going to give them something to eat like a big Mac every night, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Hey, that's being a man. That's been now. And to your point, I think I like this. You don't have to put the dream on the back burner. Right. If you need to get another, get a degree to pursue that dream, you do that from your, your five to nine, go ahead and do it. And, and again, there could be different circumstances that we could lay out that where that could work, you know, to get a second, you know, a degree or whatever, or go to community college or trade school, whatever. But we're just trying to help push, push home the point 
that it's not about you. The right. moment you think it's about you, you're acting like a little boy. What do little boys always want? They want what's best for themselves. Right. When they fight with their sibling, they always want that toy back. That that toy could be sitting in the middle of the room and no one's touched it for three days. And the sibling goes and takes the toy. You know, let's say a sister comes along, takes that toy. All of a sudden, that little boy wants that toy. That's just selfishness. Right. And that's what's going on in our culture, um, in, in my and, opinion. And if I can add to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there is there is grace for this. We're not yeah. talking about some legalistic, you go out and you work and you yeah. ignore your own needs. You don't ignore your own desires. Right. Um, where we prioritize God's priorities, there is God's provision of grace. Right. And, and that's why one of the things we have to work against is this modern cultural idea of the lone wolf man, right? This, this guy that's kind of on his own. I don't trust anybody. And, you know, I see it all over social media and the lone wolf brings chaos everywhere he goes. Yes. Right. And, and, and so there's two things here, the, the chaotic lone wolf who now he gets a wife and, and maybe a child for whatever reason, you know, um, won't even dive into that one, but there's a part of him that wants the boyhood fantasy, right? That, mm -hmm. that wants the, to build his own empire, right? And, and so what we're also saying though is where grace comes along is you're living out how you were actually designed by God, mm -hmm. right? And you're finding that and you're experiencing that as you go. But that's also why you need, you know, your wolf pack. That's also yeah. why you need community. That's right. Because right? when I see other men thriving and loving their families, I say, yep. oh, okay, you know, now there's a sense of a, a validation almost that I see. But there's also that sense where I can share, man, I always felt like I should be doing more than this. Mm -hmm. And now I have that that counsel and that community, right? So it's not, hey, young man, get up and just go work. It's you were designed to be. And, what, and what's happening is we have, in some cases, some men that are putting a weight on their wives that should not be there, Correct. right? This idea that um, we're partners or even worse, we're, we're just going to make it however we make it. And mm -hmm. so she got her money. I got my money. And, um, you know, I, I've even seen some situations where a man says, I'm not going to take a job unless, um, you know, I feel my purpose is there. And the wife will work while he sits yeah. at the kitchen table writing out business ideas, submitting credit applications. Right. And so that's 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 one part of it. There's there's another sub part. It's probably a different podcast. I think that in some cases, some men come home and they're a different man. Um, because home is toxic yeah, and, and the marriage is toxic and he's a different man there. And he, there's a part of him that, um, what did they call it? I heard a young man tell me there's a mid twenties crisis now. Hmm. <laughs> I never heard of this. And in a sense, um, he doesn't feel like a man at home. And hmm. so when he goes out, he wants to feel that sense of identity and a sense of power outside. And so he goes to the workplace where he gets to be toxic because yeah. when he comes home, he's disrespected and he's beat down. And that's, right. that's a different conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a marriage conversation. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this question, Eric, where has the church failed in raising boys to become men? The church in particular, I'm going to talk about culture next and the cultural influences that are, that are keeping boys to be boys. Where has the church failed here? I think that there's so many I could say, but I'll say, first of all, the church has tried to create more pastors than it has men. Yeah. Um, when Hold up. As, as a pastor, I absolutely mm -hmm. agree with that point. And as one who has a desire to see 
men go into ministry. And we were just talking offline before this. I was talking about two friends of mine who, you know, one's be, one became an elder, the other one's going to become an elder someday, I would think. And I'm really, I'm really not in like a weird paternal sense, really proud of them and grateful to invest in them. That's a good thing. Yeah. But I, I, I I'm going to kick it back to you in a second after this thought. Mm-hmm. There's been an there's been an outsized focus on we need more pastors instead of we need more disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. And right. that has created a problem. Go ahead. Right. There there is a cycle that that works between the domestic and the ecclesiastical. Um, think of Titus chapter two. Paul's writing to Titus, mm-hmm. and he says, first. But as for you, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, right? So this is a doctrinal thing. And then he goes on, um, older men, they're to be sober-minded. I got to hear dignified, self-control, sound in faith, right? Older women, likewise, reverent in behavior, not slanderers. And so there's this, there's this order. There's this modeling, there's mm-hmm. training, and there's teaching, right? But it's cyclical. Sometimes we make this linear thing in church. Um, in a sense, the church is a household of households. Mm-hmm. We want to have strong households domestically. And that'll make a stronger church, you know, in terms of ecclesiology and then back and forth. Right. What the church has done in some situations has said, there's a good man. Um, Let's get him trained up. Let's tell him to go off to seminary away from the local body. Never to see him again. (laughs) Right. Or if he comes back, let's get him in ministry right away. He's freshly married. Let's get him to work. Let's get him busy. Right. And then also in that sense, um, let's put his wife to work. First lady, right? Women's ministry. (laughs) And in that sense, the church sometimes has made itself a surrogate husband to a wife, to a woman, and it's made itself the priority in the man's life rather than training and developing that man into whatever God wants for him. The church has said, here's what our needs are. Let's see if this guy can fill it. Mm -hmm. And eventually, I I think it has led to um, churches planted that were not supposed to be planted, men being ordained that were not called. Um, They loved God. They loved scripture. They wanted to learn scripture. And people interpreted that as he's called to ministry because he loves the Bible. Because of course, regular Christians can't love the Bible. Right. right. And in that sense, I think, and I would say, if we want to have strong churches going forward, we need to take a new look at Titus chapter two. Yeah. And we need to say, how do we, how do we prioritize this? You can't have things at the church every night from six to 8 p.m., and expect that people are home discipling their children and that men are loving their wives. How are they going to have a date night when they're doing stuff every night at church? And so we need to change the priority from how do we find new leaders, elders, and deacons to why don't we train up men, um, model for them? You know, how do we model? It's funny how Paul is just like, teach the young men to be self-controlled. Let's just get Mm -hmm, that. They were mm -hmm, good. mm -hmm. Why don't we get that? And then see what God does after that. I think the church needs to slow down and risk not being pragmatic, right. missing out on some leaders and raising up a generation of men. That's right. And uh, there are characteristics that Paul is constantly pointing out about what men should be doing in, in, in their character, right? And, mm-hmm. and with women as well. Right. And we have to slow down and stop putting them into programs. Mm-hmm. You know, ah, fresh body, let's put you into all these things. Now, should people serve in their local church? Without a doubt without a doubt. But that's under the context and within the context of what? Discipleship. The discipleship's been regulated to this other category that we end up getting to 
where no, any opportunity that this man has within the context of the local church is a discipleship opportunity, period. And uh, I think when you look at it from a discipleship from category, uh, I think you hit the pause button on a lot of things. And you, you're more concerned about the individual than you are with the program that the, that the individual can give themselves to. Right. And that's and a a, huge. I'm go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. I, 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 there's an indictment here and it doesn't apply everywhere. No, but ministry has usurped home mm-hmm. for many because the standard is if a man's going to manage God's household, he's got to manage his own. Right. And instinct and intuition says, if I manage God's household, he'll manage my own. Right. Because if I, by my, my nature and practice of managing my home well, and then I enter ministry, the men that I, the culture and the men that I'm going to raise up and disciple are going to follow my pattern, mm-hmm. right? Because they're going to see, hey, there's time where this is just family. And if I get a call at the church and it's wife, you're going to give me that call, um, vacation, time, all, all that's going to be handled different. But if ministry is the priority, especially for guys that are full time, yeah. Um, and we see this a lot with church planners because it's like, I got to maintain, I got to get the money coming in, the support. I have so much that family takes a back burner. We produce what we are, not what we say. And so now you'll have guys who are learning, they're being educated, but they don't have the character to build a family. So mm-hmm. what good are you to the church then if you have a either a bitter wife or you can't even get married because ministry is just all your life? In some evangelical circles, the family has been placed at the altar of ministry. Yes. Uh, I, I've, I've seen that before. I've heard people, pastors who say, you know, I realize I, my family is sacrificing and I'm not saying there isn't sacrifice when it comes to a family, you know, a pastor in ministry and there's a family involved. There is to a degree for certain, but the goal isn't to see them like constantly sacrificing over and over. No, that's not the goal at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal is to care for your family, protect them, provide them. And then yes, you're a pastor as well. I, I remember an older guy. Um, when I meet older, older, mature Christian men, I, I tend to slow down and ask them very basic questions. Right. Because it's good for my heart. And one of the basic questions I tend to ask is, listen, you've been in ministry for 50 years. You're looking on, you know, to, to being in the glory with the Lord. What would you sell, say to someone who's younger, you know, just, you know, not in ministry as long? What would you say to me? And he said, you're first a Christian before you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. Somebody told that to me. And I'm like, you know what? That's very simple, but extremely profound and very yeah. necessary to hear. Yeah. And so I say it that way because this gets to our, this, this dovetails back to our topic. We need more men to follow Christ than to pursue their passion although that's not necessarily a bad thing right. or even to pursue ministry, which again is not a bad thing. Right. We need, we need to take heed. We need to heed first Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Paul says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, <laughs> be strong, that all things be done in love. So men are, men have the capacity to love, that's a good thing, right? That's a very good thing. We have the capacity to love, but but that's not in contradiction with strong. Actually, in love, we are strong. 
um, and how that's applied could be different, right? right? And then the stand firm in the faith, like a godly man, a boy who a boy who becomes a man stands firm in the faith. They say yes mm-hmm. to Jesus over and over and over and over and over. And when when it feels like you just been saying yes to Jesus all day, you continue to do that. You stand firm in the faith. And this whole idea of being watchful, this can easily be applied to how we take care of our families. Yeah. Are you watchful over your wife? Like, I'm not talking like in a creepy way, like she's sleeping. You're just kind of like, you know, you know hovering you're over watching. the bed. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it. Oh, I see you breathing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that breathing is just turned into a snore. <laughs> not my wife. Uh, but do we care for their soul? Right. Mm-hmm. And, we we take on that burden in addition to the burden of our kids and we care for their soul. We're watchful over that. And so mm-hmm. uh, we need more boys to act like, act like men. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wife as mm-hmm. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm going to pause on this for, uh, for pause here for a moment to talk about this particular passage. I like mm-hmm. it. I like to get your thoughts. I don't think I've ever addressed this with you. When I hear people in the church talk about what it means to be a man. The first thing they say is to be self-sacrificial, just like Christ to which I say, yes, and amen. Mm-hmm. But then they stop there. They don't ask right. the question. What does that look like? Right. Like, are you laying down your preferences or your desires? This goes back to the self-centeredness, right? Right. Um, are you willing to not be that? in order to love your wife and your family well. Mm-hmm. And and I think I think when you look at this practically, it goes back to are you willing to do whatever it takes to provide, protect, and care for your family and your wife as a man, right? Or for those in your community, are you willing to do it? Right. That's what sacrifice looks like. It isn't this ah, woe is me, not getting my way you know, type of nonsense. No, it's actually taken the hard road just as Christ took the hard road to the cross. Right. And with that comes hundreds of implications about how you live as a man in this world. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. So let me get controversial now. Dun, dun, dun. There's there's that phrase, pressure is built for shoulders, um, not hips. (laughs) Yeah. there is a preparation. Unless you're pregnant, man. Well, yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of ladies <laughs> listen to that and be like, I have questions. <laughs> like, but that's even not even then, the controversial part. <laughs> even then, look at, look at social media and see what a lot of women are saying now. Yeah. I, I wish I never bought a house on my own. I never. I wish I never set out on this independent walk. I, I, I wish I hadn't gone this way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a sense, and I'm going to bring this home to us as evangelicals, in some senses, we confused what's Christian with what's American. Mm-hmm. And we we there are some men we've raised up to do the work of providing, not understanding what it means to, to provide outside of monetarily. Okay. And yeah. I think we've eased the standard up too much. So when I spent time with young men as a pastor, um, and when I talk to some guys now, I think the standard is not clear. And I think we owe them that to make it clear. So, for example, if you read Jeremiah Burroughs, um, Jeremiah Burroughs is saying um, the onus for uh, what he calls Sabbath education is on the father. And that if he's not instructing his family, he shouldn't even have communion. 
Now, in our context, we look at it as, well, if you're in sin, you got porn problems, you're committing mm -hmm. adultery, you shouldn't have communion. But there was a time where if you just didn't instruct your family correctly and lead them in worship, you shouldn't even be taking communion because yeah. you're not doing what you should be doing, right? And Jeremiah Burroughs is like looking at Deuteronomy 6 and he's like, I got to own this. I need to train exactly. up my children in the Lord. Right. And so in some sense, the church has like, we got our Sunday schools, we got our youth finishers, we got all that, right? Then I think, yeah. Right. But we also have to raise men with a um, an emotional side, right, where we can care and kind of confer on our young men, you know, because we a lot of our men don't know when they become men. We we you know, women, girls know when they become a woman biologically. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But for guys, it's like, well, he's got hair. He's got some muscle. His voice didn't change yet. Right. Yeah, and it's yeah. very flurry, uh, blur. It's blurred out. It's very fuzzy. Um, when we get to that, and I think we who are older have to get to that place where we can help them and let them know, hey man, you've crossed you crossed that point. Um, I love you, I care for you, I'm a resource for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I want you to see how this is done because a lot of times we'll we'll just give them taglines. If you look at Jesus, you see real manhood, and it's like, well, where do I look when he turns the tables over in the yeah. temple, or am I looking at when he weeps at Lazarus' grave? What am I looking at? Right, we don't yeah. go through epistles because we usually don't know ourselves, and so there needs to be a connection between us who are older. You know, my son, you know, he's three. I kiss him every day. Mm -hmm. I go out of my way to make sure that even my daughters see that I'm kissing, I'm loving, I'm holding on to my son. Mm -hmm. um, my friends who are men, I let them know that I love them. That's right. Because if I have an empty well, how can I fill up a woman? Because mm -hmm. what because well, what ends up happening is I'll leech off of her. The wife will be my validation. Right? right. I'll get a pretty wife. She'll be someone who can, you know, take care of home and take care of me. And it makes me feel good. But then I won't be able to reciprocate in the way that she can feel because I've never received anything in the, in the first place. And I'm not making excuses here, but I'm saying what we have to do if we want to get to Ephesians 5 is we've got to we got to love these guys and pattern it. And we got to get them to see. Here's what Jesus did. For me. My dad may not have been perfect, but with us in the church, come alongside that young man, love him. Right. And and show them what it looks like to to die for show show them what masculinity looks like right. Um, so in other words, I'm saying in summary, we need a cultural narrative within the church that's counter to what the world has said, right? right. Where we say to young men, man, you 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 have a purpose. Whether 1, you're at McDonald's, percent. whether you're unemployed, you're looking for a job. God has so much purpose in you. Um, he has so much intention for you. And here's where it's at. You know, and and understanding that God is with you, right? This isn't something where you just got to figure it out on your own. That's what we forget. Mm -hmm. You have a helper who is here to to walk you through how to love that woman. Um, and you're gonna mess up real bad, and you're gonna crucify your your sin and your fleshly desires. And you're gonna love her. You need to come and get apologize when you get it wrong. <laughs> if I don't see that, it's very hard to do. And I thank God that I saw that in some men, and I saw that contrast, and was like, "Yo, I would have got it wrong if I got married." You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. A couple months ago, uh, I received, you know, one of the greatest compliments as a pastor of a church. And it was from a younger guy. He's in his twenties, um, married, young, young kid. And he said to me, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, I'm so thankful to be at this church because there's men who are modeling masculinity for me, biblical masculinity. I know that I can come here and I can look at you and this guy and this guy and this guy, you know, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect, right? We, 
you're, you're like you just said, you know, we're crucifying our sin, but that is actually part of masculinity, right? You crucify that sin. Yeah. And so I, 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 I you know, kind of paused and reflected on that and was just really grateful for, for the statement that we want to continue to pursue that as, as, as our local church. Right. And right. we want to model that model that for, for younger men. So the, I think there are some local churches who are doing it well, right? Yeah. There are, I think we've been using the word evangelical. I despise the word, but I just don't know another yeah. word to use. Same. So uh, as evangelicals, we, we see the problems that exist. And uh, there are more churches being led by women. They might not be the pastor, mm-hmm. but right. they're, they're, they have all the influence. Now, that looks different in different cultures. Uh, we've talked about this within urban black community. Yeah. How, how is that? How have you pushed back against that in your cultural context? Let me make sure I'm getting the question right because I'm about to go into a whole lot. Um, <laughs> how have we pushed back against, um, you know, like uh, false concepts of masculinity? Is that the question? No. Um, where, uh, let's put it, phrase it one of two ways. Either A, a lack of masculinity within the local mm. church. And therefore, it's being replaced by an overemphasis of, of women. And I'm not yeah. women are a part of the church. Part of, it, it, this is not like an anti-woman statement. It's actually a pro 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 masculinity statement and just a pro like we're all made in God's image statement. Right. And so yeah, go ahead. The black community, much like the evangelical church, is much like a voter block to be cultivated. Hmm. Um, it is in the interest of a lot of people to have a a feminine dominated church. Um, and, right. and, and I'm going to uh, quote Eric Mason. He said it publicly. So I can say this. He says, you go to many black churches, you see the flowers, you see the purple, you see all this stuff. It's welcoming to women, right? The worship, the, the watered down sermons, right. Are focused on getting women. They, they give faithfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk to many urban pastors behind closed doors. They give consistently, especially as they get older. Um, they serve consistently, they lead consistently, right? But when you bring men in, the paradigm changes, right? They want to be intellectually stimulated and challenged. They want yeah. worship that's deep and meaningful and not just superficial songs. And so to a large degree, um, there are some churches that are doing a great job in urban communities, but we need a whole lot more. And in that sense, we need it on network level and denominational level, because what's happening now is um, Fruit of Islam, grabbing a lot of the men, mm-hmm. um, Hebrew Israelites grabbing a lot of the men because they're saying, number one, you have a role here, right? You have a place. Um, and, and in that sense, they see it as there is a crisis in the black community in black and brown communities right now. Um, pick any issue you want. I, I'm just trying to get super controversial on here. Um, I would say if you could get rid of fatherlessness out of wedlock births, single motherhood, you yeah. get rid of like the top five issues in black communities, yeah. right? We, we People love to talk about it. It's the police, it's politics, um, baby mama drama. Yeah. The court system, custody issues are are the scourge of the black community and it's crippled it. And there's yeah. even certain politicians know it's in their best interest to keep it that way, right? Yeah, and right, the church right. in some sense has said, if we keep it this way, we're always going to have the money and we're always going to have the resources coming in. And so we've got to change that significantly, right? We've got to build ministries that say, and, and you know, if you're a pastor, 
you can't you're gonna fail at something you can't put your energy everywhere right um you should put it in developing men because the men are going to develop strong families it's not to say we yeah. neglect our women because there is a place for everybody in god's church absolutely right? absolutely but if i'm going to develop leaders and i'm and i'm looking at my saturday morning i want to have 12 men that I can multiply with and share and say, here's some responsibility for you. As some, let's talk about how you're doing with your wife. This is your first year of marriage. Let's let you step out of ministry mm-hmm. and let's just talk about how you can care. And in that way, I can I can multiply myself. And yeah. that's usually not good for many pastors because you've got to be the celebrity. You've got to be connected because you don't want people going and all that stuff. But in serving Jesus, um, we need men who will come in and and take it back. And in that sense, I'm also going to say, um, I think the most vulnerable group in the black community are black boys and black men. Mm. Um, go to any court, custody or family court. Yeah, yeah. No voice. Um, look at those who are coming out of prisons. And and I, you've heard me probably talk about this before. I, I work with a couple guys uh, coming out of prison, and so many other religions have an ear to bring because they know. Those guys are going to influence the community one way or another. They're either yep. going to come back and do the same stuff they were doing before and break families, or they're going to be strong and build up not only the, you know, the the religion, fruit of Islam, the temple, whatever, but the family also. Mm-hmm. Christians yeah, don't necessarily yeah. get that. We're still like, we got to deal with abortion, which I agree with. Yeah. And, you know, we got to find, you know, uh, missions and stuff like that. Hey, cool. But right now we have uh, a large part of the black community, which obviously black and brown men, we don't want to hear from. Um, first of all, they're not liberal in a political sense. Actually speaking, they're more libertarian than anything. Yeah. Um, but they want to be challenged and empowered. And if we do that, um, it's going to change the church, but it's going to change communities. So when I stop and think about what, what Scripture says about the two things that God has designed, ordered, and ordained, it's the local church and the family. And we'll just speak to the family because that's the, the the road you went down. And I absolutely think that's the right road to go down. You have to get your house in order. You know, I think men need to get their house in order. Yeah. You know, we've been going through the uh, Sermon of the Mount, Sermon of the Mount at Redemption Church. And we went through those passages on um, adultery, on lust. And I, I, I went out of my way and they know the fellows know this at Redemption Hill. I oh. went out of my way in these passages to look at them and to and to and to preach specifically to them. And I kept saying over and over in different ways, yeah. it's up to you to get your house in order. So, you know, it, the, the um, some of the concerns you have in the black community might be different than what we have going on here. So for here, it's like, fellas, stop looking at porn. Stop objectifying women. When you do that, you're acting like a little boy knock it off, knock it off. I can give you the boot up the rear and I'll come alongside you in love and grace at the same time, knock it off. Um, and, and so it looks different. Like the, uh, the, the symptoms look different, right. In different, different communities, but at the, at the bottom here, we have too many broken families because men are refusing to act like uh, godly disciples of Jesus Christ. And I think there's also, some other things that we got to think about in terms of mental health. Yeah. Um, some, some wounding that men don't talk about um, some things, too many of us suffer in silence hmm. and, and there's some that aren't necessarily suffering, but are so entitled that they're just wasting away and depressed. 
And I think this is what we got to deal with because we're heading into a recession. What happens when a guy can't work who wants to work? When a guy is losing yeah. his identity in the marketplace, what he does is he loses himself in porn, video games, and now the metaverse, right? Yeah. We got to think yeah. about that. And so um, I think that's why this circle in the community, right, is so important that can help us. Because even when we say get your house in order, a lot of guys are going to define it so differently. They yeah. don't know where they fit in, where, they, where their wife fits in. You know, in terms of that harmony at home, we got to we got to think that out and get into specifics. And normally they're going to think, well, if I got to lead her, that's like toxic. Right. Because mm -hmm. we have a bad idea of masculinity. I, I want to give you like a quick illustration that hit me when I was younger in terms of masculinity. Um, when I went in the military. Right. This is ninety nine. I go to Fort Sill, Oklahoma and. You know, you have your idea of the military. If you watch John Wayne and, you know, yeah. his Green Berets movies, there's, you know, bravado and tough and, you know, bossy, right? And all that kind of stuff. And I remember um, being in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and I, I met some Green Berets. Hmm. And there were Green Berets and there were Rangers. And, you know, for people who don't know Rangers, you know, basically commandos, right? We think of direct action. These guys jump yeah. in, parachute, kill everybody. <laughs> And I met some Green Berets. Now, these are guys who are around either during Vietnam or right after. And they were the most interesting men I'd ever met. They spoke multiple languages. They read books all the time. And a bunch of them were Christians. And so at night, we would do CQ, which is called Charge of Quarters. You have to babysit the phone and deal with anybody that shows up at the, at the barracks. And I would talk to these guys and they were so interesting and they like loved their wives and loved their families. And they, they, they were calling home to check in and seeing if everything were okay. And I'm saying to myself, these are guys who I know have killed people, yeah. know how to kill people. Like there's a violent side to these dudes and they're so gentle. Like they're, they're talking yeah. to me like a person I'm thinking they're going to boss me around and tell me I'm an idiot. And I realized by being around that kind of man, Number one, my character was not what it should be. And I was not a man yet, even though I was of age. And and so we've got to be those kind of men. When people get around us, they go, well, that's what a man is, right? Mm -hmm. Where you don't have to go out. Of, you don't have to prove you're a man to anybody, right? You can be confident, intelligent, assertive in a way that has people go, wow, I really feel um, like, what did they say? You can tell you're humble by how you make people feel. Mm -hmm. If you make people feel listened to, you know, you make people feel significant. You know, if I'm if I'm sitting, I'm talking to my daughter when we're having, you know, devotional, my 16 year old, um, I want her to have clarity on on what I'm telling her and what I see in her. Right. But a lot of that I got from those guys. It it struck me right away as a young guy. Like they're not like the Rangers. Right. The Rangers table dive and haze each other. But he's <laughs> here a gentleman who are interesting. And I'll say many of our men are so two dimensional. They're not interesting. Right. Yeah, they don't right. have a life where they're exercising, developing themselves. It's just like they're characterized by Twitter arguments and, you know, just coming home and cutting the grass. And so there's a vision of what masculinity is that we need to press into mm -hmm. and we need to see it and we need to catch it and pursue it. But like, you know, for me, that was the thing that caught me, like be interesting as a man, yeah. be somebody yeah. people want to be around and that your wife wants to respect. Yeah. And there's a complexity. I mean, to to masculinity too, right? Like we can, I think we can cry. Yeah. Right. When, when it's appropriate, if you need to cry, cry, you know, um, I, I know I will ball when I hand my water, my, my water, my daughter off to be yeah. married, you know, to a man. Same. And there'll be, there's other, you know, if you ask my wife, she asked me, is, is Sean sensitive? She'd be like, Oh yeah. I mean, 
Her more than anyone has seen me in tears. I have cried over theology. I've cried over whatever. So there's that, but that doesn't mean any less of a man. I'm also the guy who said at church and I was preaching through um, the passage on retaliation. Mm-hmm. You know, and Jesus basically said, turn the other cheek. I mean, what Jesus isn't saying, guys, is that we there's an there's an absence of violence in our lives. For example, you all remember the Uvalde, Texas shooting, right? Like, and then it's what I, me explaining to them mm-hmm. in a sermon. We meet at a church. None of us can carry. For those of you who have a gun and who want to carry, you can't do that here. It's illegal. It's against federal law. If there were ever an active shooter, what is our response? Every single one of you men need to make a beeline to the active shooter and the first one to him wins. That's violence, but it's violence done uh, appropriately. Why, why do we, why do we all, why every one of us got, I mean, I know it's easy to save you harder to do. Why do I say that? Because why are, why are we making the charge? We're going to protect the women and children. Right. And I want to protect my wife. I want to protect my friend's wife. I want to protect my children. I want to protect my friend's children. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't cry while at the same time say, say, I'm going after the dude. I'm going to take his legs out. And then I'm going to do everything I can to protect the people around me. They're not in contradiction. They work together. I think that is moving toward biblical masculinity. Exactly. We can't blur the line. And I think this kind of comes to another conversation we have about androgyny and yeah. And men who are very, you know, effeminate, right? Because yeah. they don't know how to embrace a tender side while still being men. There's a part of you, just like any shepherd, right? Mm-hmm. You you have your rod, you guide the sheep, and you fight the wolves. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be able to do that, right? There's a part of you that's for the sake of my family, you're just gonna awaken a part of me that you don't want to see, right? Or there's a part of me that's gonna work hard and suffer for the sake of my family in a way that my wife doesn't have to feel yeah. right. Um, and, and every man should be pursuing that. Right. Um, yeah. I also think that arises from um, like where you talk about the emotional side, Christian men need to be worshipers. Mm. I think yes. too often we're librarians. Mm. Explain we that. Got, Explain the difference. We got, we got all the books, right? I got, I got a bunch of books over here. I got more books than I'm going to read this summer, right? I see a book. I'm like, you know, this would really do good for me. I buy it, right? Um, we get it. We feel good. And then we well, we might even read. You know, I'm doing a McShane reading plan. A lot of guys I know are doing this plan. Mm-hmm. We yep. read, but we don't engage and interact with the book, right? We, we right. don't necessarily let the scripture master us in a way where we change. I'm always hesitant when I'm around a guy who Nothing has changed about your position, whether politics, theology, you haven't had to rethink or question some stuff. You just know it all, right? You're just good. You haven't had to repent and have seasons where you struggled with some stuff because those are things that forge character, um, cause us to be able to repent and apologize to people, right? And when I don't see that, I see there's something he's hiding behind. And it's Mm -hmm. usually, I got my books, I got my degree, I got all this other stuff. But behind it all, um, you got a big head of theology and a thimble full of heart. Yeah, you and know what that so, is? It's fundamentalism. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. And it's interesting. We I can gonna gonna shamelessly plug a blog I just wrote on the new fundamentalist, but that's kind of a different topic. But fundamentalism looks different. You don't need to be in a fundamentalist church to see fundamentalism. Right. You could be in a Pentecostal church, you could be in a Catholic church, you could be 
at your church, my church, like we, we put on the facade in order to hide all the things. That's just fundamentalism. I've never known a man that had a strong worship life that had a weak family. Mm. I've never seen, I've never seen a praying man who wasn't leading adequately. Yeah. Right. And so that's why in any conversation we would have about masculinity, it's going to be different than someone who's not a Christian. Right. Right. Because if I'm going to do um, and fulfill that design that I see in scripture, I need a vital connection with God. Right. I was talking yeah. to you about that earlier. I'm preaching yeah. Ezekiel this Sunday and what enabled Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah to be, you know, consistent amongst rebellious people is that they had these encounters with God that, that just bolstered them forward. Right. Yeah. And we need that because we live in a culture that's counter to the gospel and is counter to masculinity. Yeah. Right. So you're not safe when you leave the house being a man. Right. This stuff I think about now, I never thought about um, on a level of being black, but also on a level of being a man, especially. I'm yeah. real careful how I deal with coworkers and all. And so I need a connection with Jesus that's going to keep me at a place where I can go out, um, stand on truth, represent him and not be a jerk. Mm -hmm. Right. And that happens. I, I, I can't say that enough. Christian men need to be worshiping men. Yeah. If you're not, something is missing. Something is wrong. Um, you're not connected to God in the way you think you should be because you're going to church and you have extra books. The books are good. Yeah. Get the books, pass the books to me if you don't want them, but, yeah. um, become a the link below. There you go. Right. <laughs> I'll share my social media, but become a doxologist. You know, yeah. Robert Smith Jr. talks about become Amazing. someone that finds a way and a reason to worship every day. I guarantee any man is listening. When your worship life begins to change, um, your family's going to change. It can't stay yeah. the same. Right. right. But if you only know, um, I forget who the professor was that said it, um, Dr. Alexander from the Master Seminary. He said, if all you know is God is good, then your worship is God is good. God is good. God is good. It's never deep. Right. Um, and therefore you're never a deep man. You right. don't have a developed character because your God is so small. Mm. But when you see how God is big, rich, holy, omnipotent, omnipresent, and you see what he's done through all of scripture. Now you're worshiping your praise yeah. is different. Now you can overcome temptation, pornography, yeah. selfishness. All of those can be defeated in a worshiping man. You know, man, I don't know why we didn't lead out with that. <laughs> <laughs> honestly i'm thinking through like you know the course of this conversation and i'm like how how, how did i not uh should have loaded out with that i mean what's the scripture <laughs> is it first timothy paul's i want men lifting up holy, holy hands, hands everywhere yes absolutely we have a role at the front of the church and at the front of the house yeah, yeah and yeah. i don't know how many guys i've talked to that can't you know lead somebody through a uh, devotional or share their faith yeah and and what does peter say you know but sanctify the lord god in your heart Right. You do that first and then you can give an answer to other people. Fellas. The, yes. Absolutely. Fellas at church, front row, please come. Exactly. Be there. Take your front row. Be, yeah. Be the example. If you're tall like me, sit on the side. Yes. You know, um, I am, of course. But, but be seen, be a worshiper. Right. Because as you grow in the gospel, you're able to to not be afraid to be seen, to not be afraid of the, you know, shame. I think sometimes we do that. Men come to church, they sit in the back because like, I don't really belong here. I'm just coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And in that sense, many of us have learned to be biological men and live like women. Mm. Because we come to church and we look for um, someone to kind of be our surrogate husband in a sense. Right, right. We we basically live transgender lives in, in a evangelical body. 
if I could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like you you have the emotional makeup of a woman. You 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 interact with the church like a woman would. I mean, I there was a guy I used to listen to, and it was true. I was raised by a single mother, right? She was so emotional. She my mother taught me to be violent, to deal with drugs, all kinds of stuff. And I remember a guy said, "I have to wash the femininity off myself every day," and that's so true. There are many black men I know who are in jail because they act and think like their mothers did and not like a man would. You yeah. know, as a man, I have to, if I'm talking to you and we're interacting, I got to watch what I say because there's a chance you might get up and punch me in the mouth. Right. But many women know they can provoke you and yell at you. And sometimes some of us take on a woman's form and we provoke and we do all that stuff because we haven't learned how to control our emotions like men. Right, right. And we are emotional beings. And I, and right. I think this is a good point to be made is that, and I, and I think this is a cultural issue that crosses genders, is that the younger you are, the more emotionally weak you tend to be in state, un, unstable, don't know how yeah. to deal with the emotions, you know? Right. And there's, and I think that as a result, there's a lot of other things going on, like, you know, speech is violence and cancel culture and things like that, you know? Right. Like, I'll table that for another day, but I, but I think that it's an important point. Like we need to be emotionally secure. Right. Right. And, and we operate out of that. Right. And that helps us to, and and truth governs our emotions. I think that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Our emotions don't govern the truth or, or, or our circumstances. Right. Right. And, and you know, the other day I was driving and uh, took a right and the guy behind me didn't like me going the speed limit. So he was just right up on me. And I, I was getting really angry in my heart. That was an emotional reaction, right? Just really bugged. Like, stop tailing me, dude. Just knock it off. I'm not going 50 in a 50. And uh, what I realized is I was allowing that guy to control my emotion. Right. And and we have to we have to take back our emotions and learn to, to control them in a godly way. That's really good. Learning to and not stuff them away. Know your emotions. Some of us are exploders and some are imploders. Yeah, right. Right. We're always filling up and just ready to blow up, and we don't have outlets to deal with that kind of stuff. Right. I read a study the other day that said something about um, the average thirty-year-old's testosterone now is like equivalent to no, no. They said his grip strength is the same as a fifty-year-old uh, woman because oh. so much has changed about his biophysiological, physiologically, and. So many things are different. Testosterone, all that yeah. kind of stuff. We don't have the same activities we once did, you know? And our emotions and how we're wired, we need to pay attention to, um, learn how to deal with, learn how to cope. We live in a stressful time. We do. Um, and, and spiritually, that does go back to our prayer life, our worship life, but it also goes to um, how am I managing the person inside? How am I dealing with my soul? Right. Like, I am not my body. I am a soul and I have a body. Right. And I need to be able to relate with the environment in a certain way. And so many men are just these canisters of shaking up soda. They're just ready to burst. And it's like, how do you deal with that? Some, right. I'm going to say, there's some men who do need therapy. They don't want to get therapy because they think it's unchristian, right? I've been to therapy before. Um, a good Christian therapist is worth their weight in gold, right? Um, sometimes it's just having a relationship with your pastor where you can go in and sit, right, and get some help. I think there are things that we've gone through that we've never processed. We haven't talked through with people. It's not an excuse, but we need to, you know, address that. And then we need to to grow. I read um, Peter Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, years ago and had some conversations. And it brought up so much, right, because I've learned to process things through the eyes of my 
Baptist African-American experience, right? Certain things you do, don't do. We got to learn to renew our minds and renew our ability to deal with our emotions um, yeah. as men, right? right? I need a relationship with you so I can message you and say, Sean, you're never going to believe. And then I feel better because somebody yeah. else knows what's going on. Yeah. There's accountability, but I could just vent. And now I can go back and deal with the stuff I got to deal with. Right. We need that vitally. We need that community. We need the help. And it's right. okay. It's like, it, it, not only is it okay, it's biblical. Exactly. I mean, Jesus had his his inner circle, right? Yeah. I was about yeah. to start asking you some questions. Like, how do we practically pursue this? Everybody in my church, I'm not going to be able to relate to on the same level. Correct. Right. And I also can't come home and dump everything on my wife. I got to be able sometimes to sort through in my own head because it takes me hours to know what I'm feeling, yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I've got to be able to cultivate a circle, right? And it takes time. I it need does. to be able to test out and see, can I trust this guy? Right. right. There's some guys that are going to be a Timothy to your Paul that you can pour into and he may not be able to handle your issues, right? You want to yeah. be transparent. You want to help him grow. But then when he hears what's going on, your struggles, it's going to struggle. He's going to struggle in his faith. Yeah, I never yeah, thought yeah. people go through that, but then I need some people who can come alongside me, who can hear it and hear the gritty side of ministry, life, marriage, whatever, yep. parenting, and be able to listen and 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 take it and pray with me and not see me different, right? And it takes time to develop that. A mm -hmm. lot of guys think I'm going to find my wolf pack in my circle now. And what they do is they find all the people who make them comfortable and not the people who make them grow. And, and so I would say, especially to young men who are listening, if you don't have anybody yet, you can start with your books. You can start with the biographies, some podcasts. There are certain people I listen to that I've never met who have helped me because I hear their stories and how they grow. H.P. Mm. Charles's interviews of different pastors and yeah. seeing, you know, how they made it through hard times and how they go about sermons and all has helped me. There are resources out there um, we need to cultivate, but don't wait for the storm to come. Start working on yourself as a man emotionally and all that now. Yeah. So when get, the hard get stuff off comes, the Xbox, like yeah, exactly, whatever you know, whatever that thing is that you're just acting, you're acting like a boy in the moment, right? You need to just knock right. it off, get off, and, and I'm not saying you can never play Xbox, right? It's fine. Like I like watching sports, you know. You can have your esports. Uh, that's not a sport. <laughs> knock it off. Esports <laughs> is not a sport. No more than what I say. No more than oat milk is milk. No more than a than a vegan burger is a hamburger or a burger. I need somebody to make this a clip so we can put on TikTok and Instagram. When I TikTok, the Chinese will take it. We we need some debate going over this esport thing. <laughs> All right, you can make whatever you want viral. You do whatever it is you want with this video. I don't care. <laughs> so let me throw some questions at you really quick. Yeah, far away. Um, some things some guys brought up yesterday, and and I even debate on the validities. But anyway, um, how does a how does a boy know when he's having that rite of passage into manhood? How does how does he know? And secondly, how would you characterize the phases of development in manhood? So I'm gonna work on the assumption there's a father figure in place. Okay. Mm. That's not always always the case. But let's just if we could just focus on the ideal. Okay. And then we can talk about okay if it's not the ideal then then what? Right. I, I think in the ideal, you have a father who is discipling his son throughout the entire process. I don't, I don't, I only have daughters. I don't have any sons. So it's, it looks different in the home at least. Right. But I would say there are certain, it, it's one, it's, it's helping your son to be 
spiritually aware of who God is. Mm. And Lord willing, the Lord saves them. Like that is to me a massive step. And I say that in light of the fact that I, I tend to want kids to get uh, baptized later in life, you know, okay, things like that. So I think there's a process. I think a father being involved is essentially important. I think when a son begins to become more aware spiritually, he starts asking the really good questions and the deeper questions, not just like, Hey, where did the trees come from? It's more of like, I was just thinking the other day, God created those trees. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what's the meaning behind that. Like there's a, another level of depth. There's a maturity taking place. You see the maturity of thought, maturity spiritually. I, I, the other thing I would say is this. You want to see a father wants to help a son treat women with dignity and respect. A father needs to teach a son not to objectify women. And it gets into the whole porn culture, of course. Yeah. But as you're raising a, a boy to become a man, you help them to see women as image bearers of God. Like God created them and they're different than us. There's some sameness, of course, image and likeness, Genesis 1, um, 26, 27. Um, but they're different too. And that's pretty amazing. And God has called us to care for them and protect them and provide them. And that actually ends up happening in the context of marriage. Son, do you know... Like I, I look at mom, your mom, and I say, I'm called to care for her. And so you could kind of actually model that within the home and your son sees it. Your son sees you treating women with respect, right? He, he sees you raising daughters potentially to dress modestly, appropriately, right? I mean, it's what I do with my kids. Right. And, and so that's where my guess, where my thought comes to. And there are different stages for sure. I mean, kids are kids, right? They, they can be immature. But I think when you start seeing the character take place, like when you look at scripture and you see the self-control, which I think is a huge one, especially for younger generations, that a son is, yeah, he is having self-control and he's and he's giving glory to God for the ability to do that. You start so, seeing a son become a man. A I want to become a man. Go ahead. This is good. No, I want to take some of what you're saying. So I want to break it down for like my listeners, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like you said, so I would say, if I'm getting what you're saying right, find a father figure. If you don't have one, correct, right? and submit, because I, I think many young men want this loose discipleship relationship where when I want instruction, I come to you for advice, then you leave me alone. And what you need is life on life. I'm going to come alongside you and you can teach me and spend time with me. I'm opening myself up to yeah. be instructed, right? Let me add to that. Mm-hmm. In, within the context of the ideal, within the family structure, that submission generally naturally takes place, right? Right. That's built in. That's built into the cake by God. Right. I'm your father. Right. I have the t-shirt. I am your father. The kids gave it to right. me. When it's not the ideal, and this is important what you're saying, it's find a fatherly figure and submit to it and make sure that fatherly figure loves Jesus. Yes. And is committed to their local church. Yep. Be, be, be with him. And I, and I think that can happen. In your church, it can be somebody that's in a different church, but yeah, you you want his life to be as in line with the gospel. He doesn't have to be perfect, right? Right, but you want to be in a place where you see Christ typified in what he's doing, yeah. right? And yeah. you want to be open and accountable. 
It's not a sometime thing, right? right? It can't be, I need advice. No, discipleship is different than that, right? Yeah. Um, um, matter of fact, if anybody wonders, Dottie Lewis had a good talk on the Verge Network years ago about hospitality and the importance of having people in your home, right? Um, but then also if I, from what I'm giving, what you're saying is you got to battle your flesh, mm -hmm. right? You got to, if, if, if what Paul is saying in Titus 2 is important, they teach young men to be self-controlled. The worst enemy you have is to not have discipline, yeah. right? To say you have a relationship with Jesus, but you have no control over your flesh, your impulses. If your belly is your God, yeah, there's right. something really wrong and you, you will fall. You will struggle a lot in this culture. Um, but you've got to be at it hard because there are lots of traps out here um, mm. to ruin young men. And it's so easy to ruin yourself because it's right on your phone. Right. Oh, totally. I, I mean, you can, there's ads and stuff. I mean, you go on Instagram and it's like, Oh, I just saw that every weather woman looks like she's a bikini model. I don't yep. even, I don't even want to know if it's raining anymore. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff, I'm getting what you're saying. That's right. And so, so the last part of my question I was bringing up was, um, the phases of a man's life. I know people call it the stages. I've heard like, there's a sage part. Um, and I bring this up because I think there's, there's some temptations young men go through where they think they got to do it all at once. Right. I'm a man now, mm -hmm. so I got to get married. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um, where are you going? Like you're on a runway, but you haven't taken off yet. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, you can. You know, maybe you're in school and you're trying to work on your job, right? You're you're figuring out finances. And I'm saying you got to wait till things are financially right. But you got to be able to build something and, and bring, you know, a woman into it, but then also bring the right woman into it. Right. Too often, especially in my context, the assumption is, well, she goes to church. She must be good enough. And I think you need to care enough about your calling and what God is doing to not bring um, a mess into your life in terms mm -hmm. of who you're going to marry too yeah. many young men. And I've heard plenty of times, well, I don't want to burn. So I'm, I'm just going to get married. And then you are struggling. She doesn't respect you. Right. Um, she doesn't love the Lord. She was just going to church <laughs> and you know what I mean? And she said, Hey, hypergamy, baby, he's going to provide for me. And then you're miserable. Right. And now you're in yeah. it. This is your wife. Mm -hmm. um, I try to tell young men, there are stages that you need to work through. Right. It's not just boyhood and manhood overarching. Yes. Um, but there's a time, you know, you're married. Then there's a time where you're you're pouring into others and there's time where you're being developed. How would you yeah. interpret those stages of a man's life? I think it's just I, I'm going to oversimplify it and then push okay. back against probably some modern terminology that we use. OK, it's simply growing into maturity. Mm -hmm. Right. From just, just use the terms that we have been using boyhood and a manhood. In manhood, there's ongoing maturity. It's not like you become a man and you've arrived, right? Right. You got married, had a kid, and all of a sudden you're there. I mean, I I hope, I think that I'm a much better disciple of Jesus Christ today than I was mm -hmm. 15 years ago, 15 plus years ago when I married my wife, Sharice. Right. I, if that's not the case, then I got to look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, we're, how's sanctification going, Sean? Mm -hmm. Um. So... So we have those two broad categories, but, there, but, but there's a maturation process throughout one's lifetime. And so that's the first thing I would say. I think what doesn't serve us at times is that when we put labels onto specific time periods of an individual's life. Okay. I have a 12-year-old daughter. We would say she's like a preteen. And what do preteens do? They their attitude and blah, 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 blah. And as things start changing and whatever, you know, we, we have these caricatures of these moments throughout 
uh, a person's development. And I'm not saying they're, you know, I'm not saying they're, we couldn't, that labels are necessarily bad, but I think what often is the case is that we lose focus on what the goal is. My goal is to raise my daughter in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And as That's she good. grows up, there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be, there's going to be conversations. There's going to be discipline. There's, there's sin. Um, but what I can't do is like, she's preteen. All preteens do that, man. All of them. Right. What? <laughs> well, I would just explain that away like that. I That's that. stupid. Yeah. So I, I look at it more holistically, maybe organically, that I do like programmatically step by step. Yeah. No, I'm saying a lot of this is really contingent upon parents taking ownership over the discipleship of their children, in particular men. Yeah, I think of so I would I think we're in agreement. I th- maybe I would use the word milestones, right? Yeah, yeah. So for example, as a father, my daughter who's 16, I realize the time is coming where she's she's being launched out, right? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The the arrow is being drawn back. I can see it. I feel it. Um. <laughs> Um, now, my house, I don't know where you stand on this. Um, as long as she's here and she's not married, you know, I'm providing for her. Yeah, in some sense, she's welcome here. I believe yeah. that until she's married, she's under my covering. I'm responsible for her, right? Yeah, I would hold that. Um, and and I had a conversation with her and her, some of her friends had questions. And, and we could be very blunt in our talks, right? <clears throat> and I said, you know, in reality... <clears throat> If you're not planning on or preparing for marriage, right? Um, what's your body count going to be, mm-hmm. right? This was frank discussion. Her, her friends, um, because you're not going to make it to thirty being a virgin, right? right? I don't care. Jesus, your husband, all this. I don't. You're going to buy a dog? Nope. It's not going to happen, right? There's some realities, but for me as a father, right? That's where I'm saying there's a there's a point where, when she is gone, I got to look at that differently, right? When she's being courted, right. I got to deal with that. I got to deal with that differently than the little ones. I got to deal with my stage in life where I'm trying to take care of my mom who has multiple sclerosis and cancer mm-hmm. and a dad who's coming home from prison in his sixties. Right. And now I'm kind of like, if something happens to them, I'm responsible. Right. So I'm in a different frame of mind than yeah. I was 10 years ago. So I'm kind of, that's what I'm kind of looking at is my relationship to my parents is different as my relationship is changing to my 16 year old. The pressure I feel is so different and so yeah. new to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, wow, something could happen to my mom. And we got to talk about this. We got to deal with the will and life insurance. And my daughter, some dude's going to come to me at some point and want to marry her. Yeah. And I want that to happen soon. Right. But it's like, yeah. yeah. Like I'm like you. I'm going to ball when, like the night before the wedding, I'm going to ball down the aisle. I'm going to ball. And then when I come home and realize her stuff isn't here anymore, like yeah. I think about that sometimes. Right. And it's like, that's why my identity can't be being a father. And yeah. it was from being a single dad for so long, mm-hmm. but it's like that, that part changes. And now it's like, God is still parenting me as yeah. I'm dealing yeah, with, yeah. you know, those stages. And I have to, and I, I try to have this talk with black men. Cause we don't think about this. Getting my house in order also means I need a will. Right. I have an ethical will where I've kind of written out, um, here's my desire for you guys. Here's how I want the kids to to interact with each other when I'm gone. Um, I want to cough. I even laid out, I want a coffin, not a casket. I want you to know there's a body there. Yeah. Um, I laid out a bunch of stuff because I think it's important that there's a sense of lineage, right? And that I'm yeah. I'm saying here is legacy, my legacy right. building. 
here's my spiritual and ethical and moral legacy that I've worked to put my life into. It's not just financial. And I want you guys to honor it. And I kind of, you know, feel like, I mean, so many guys in my life, my family die in their fifties. Right. So I started thinking I'm 41, like I got 10 more years. Right. And it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's up to God, but yeah. I look at it as a stage where I'm being mindful of my legacy. Now when am I, and I was 25, I wasn't thinking about legacy. I was thinking about what am I here for? Yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What you're leaving behind is so important. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think more guys would serve themselves, especially as they get older, but you got to, I think you got to start thinking this when you're younger, what kind of legacy are you leaving behind? What kind of godly Christian legacy are right. you, are you leaving behind? And that right. means, and I'm just kind of looking at some of the notes here. We need, we need men to not be lazy, lazy or slothful. Uh, we right. need men who do not, we don't need men who do not take God seriously. We need men to take God seriously. And as I keep hammering this home, and so same with you, is like we need men to stop objectifying women. Knock it off. Right. Knock it off. Knock it off. Can I say it again? Knock it off. Yeah. Stop it. Um, We need we need men to fear God. We need men to work hard. And even if you don't like your job in the moment, right? We need you to work hard. Work hard six days a week, and guess what? You got a day of rest. Yeah, we need men to work hard, come home, and then love their wives and care for the kids. That's what we need. And you know what? It's hard. Yes, I, I'm just gonna let. There's the marriage is sweet, being a man is awesome, but it's not easy. So, right. And and so whatever, whatever the culture's been selling you, just shove it aside. It's hard. It's good. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, disciple your children. Disciple other people in the community, which I know you're very passionate about. Absolutely. You you go about discipling people in your community. And you know what here, you know, I I put in, I put on social media every father's day. I say this uh, fathers take your wife and kids to church. Yeah. And you know, for those who are going anyways, like it's no big deal, but it's making a point. Like that's right. God has entrusted you to care for their souls. That's right. For, For father's day, take them to church and be mindful. I think, um, you know, one thing that challenged me, I read Jonathan Edwards Institutes years ago, well, not Institutes, his resolutions. Yeah. Um, and John, and so I have, I keep it at my desk. I have this book that I got from GQ. Uh, I have goals, thoughts, and I have basically tried to work with um, also like C.S. Lewis has the rule of life, C.S. Lewis Institute. I, when I disciple um, a man of any age, I try to encourage him for that because we're not mindful often. We think walking by faith is this blanket general kind of i walk trusting god and it's like there's no sense of compass there's no sense of clarity Mm. trajectory Mm -hmm. right and so i think in other generations folks like edwards were saying here's what i've resolved to do right Right. in many places if somebody said i want to be the best christian in this generation they would say you're prideful but edwards said i'm going to be the best christian in my generation and you have to define that right but there's a there's something that should be aspirational about a man right right I want to be uh, a husband, right? Ideally, you should aspire to that. If you want to be a pastor, you should aspire to that. You want to plant, there should be aspirations, right. but you can't realize them all now. So for and ambition's not a bad thing. Right. It's rightly motivated ambition that matters. In the right timing. Correct. Exactly. You got to be able to have delayed gratification, right? So I, I have things in my yeah. book that being around other men and talking to folks like Pastor Rob, I realize some things I'm going to do in 10 years. Yeah. Or later, if, yeah. if Lord willing, and so, but I have a, I have a vision, and Lord willing, I'll get here, I'll get there, I'll do this, 
but it's not today, right? I got to take little steps and I got to delay the gratification. I think mm -hmm. many men, if you're going to be self-controlled in the same way, you would say, stay away from porn. Mm -hmm. um, you have to delay gratification and develop a vision, right? And it's not always a vision for your life. This is where I think we get it wrong, right? Where are you? Where's your community? How are you involved in your church and planted, right? In serving the mission, um, yeah. Men got to have a sense of that, right? Like yeah. when I was young, I was excited to get a job and pay taxes. Like I wanted to be in the working force. I wanted to make my way. And then I saw my paycheck and I was like, taxation is theft. And then I became a communist. So I don't know how messed up I was. But my <laughs> point being, um, you need to have a sense of here's where I'm going. And, and right. the men who usually don't have it are the men who are isolated, right? Because if I have a, I have a sense of trajectory, I'm going to interact with other men and they're going to help either validate what I'm doing and what I'm called to, or going to say, man, I don't think that's for you. But when yeah. you're isolated, you can always tell a man is just chaotic and, and by, cause he, he talks about what he wish and what he'd like mm -hmm. to do. And mm -hmm. you don't hear this, what I'm praying about is seeking God for. Yeah. You don't find that. And that I think is a mark of, of manhood, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm growing into this. I'm, I'm pursuing that, right. I'm pursuing God's high call in my life. And I'm working on it. If you don't see that, you probably have some maturing to do. Yeah, that's good. You asked me earlier about marks of, uh, you know, growing into manhood. And, you know, uh, we have a guy who hunts in our church. Like for him, like, I'm going to take my sons hunting. And like, mm -hmm. you know, and when they get their first buck, that's like a, that's a mark, you know. And then maybe it's mm -hmm. going to college or whatever. But I think what you're hitting on is actually more significant than these these other things, which which could be good, right? Right. Um, they're not bad, but it's like, do I, am I, am I casting a vision for myself for the future? Not just the present, but for the future. And what am I doing to pursue that? And what's the, what's the motive underneath it all? Like, I want to be married and I want to have kids and I want to be able to provide and protect them. Okay. What are you doing? Do you need to go to college? Maybe, maybe not. Do you need to go to trade school? Maybe, maybe not. Whatever it is, put your hand to the plow. Don't be lazy. Don't be slothful. As I as I love Josh Carroll's, I put my hand upon the plow, wipe the sweat up off my brow, and you and you get to work. You were created by God, as we read in Genesis one, Genesis two, and Genesis three. Uh, you were created to work. It's hard, but it's good. I want to land okay. the plane with this. Okay. Uh, we are both sinners saved by the grace of the gospel. In sum. How would you, what, what final advice would you give to men listening to this podcast? And then I'm going to give my advice. Okay. Short and succinct, I would say. I, I'm going to make you go first so I can think about it. <laughs> there you go. Um, understand that you're loved and designed by God, that you don't have to pull your bootstraps up and get it right, that you were designed to be a man, distinctly a man. It's not the same as being a woman. Um, that design is good. And when you embrace Christ, what he's going to do is unleash you to be fully human, fully a man, the way he designed you to be. And understand that there is grace available to do that. Mm -hmm. And where you have been slothful, where you have not had self-control, repent of that. Mm -hmm. Don't just act like you can leave it alone and sweep it under the rug. Repent of slothfulness. Repent of objectifying women. Delete Instagram if you have to. Take action. We need action. We need an action plan. Yeah, yeah. Um, delete the apps. Get rid of HBO. 
um, and pursue godliness in community, um, develop a vision, get some men around who are going to test the vision, and then understand, it's my last two things, mm -hmm. um, if you're going to get married, your wife wants to be put to work in a sense. She wants to know, where do I fit in for your vision for life? Yeah. Right. Um, be able to answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. Don't just go, we're just going to go through life and all that because we're one of you is going to lead. And, yeah. Exactly. Somebody's going to lead. And in some cases, some men will let the default be her. And, and if there's, and if there's women listening, understand, I am not talking about lording over your wife, abusing your wife. I'm talking about giving such a clear, distinctive vision. You understand where the two of you are going, you know, where you fit in um, because it's not that he's in charge. The Lord is in charge. And that man is under him um, leaning the way. And so if you're, you're a man, like I said, uh, get in the Bible, become a worshiper and let the Holy spirit help you in that. That's good. I'm going to, I'm going to lead out with how we should have let out this entire podcast, which you mentioned about halfway through, um, worship Jesus, get married, raise a family, stay committed. Don't be an idiot. And when you're an idiot, <laughs> repent. I, I, I'm going to sum it up that way. And I know not, not all people get married and I don't want to be so dismissive of that, but I right. think men, statistically people that you are going to get married, right? Pursue it, get married, raise a family, stay committed. Don't be an idiot. Worship Jesus. That's it. I could tweet that. I, I should have gave up my social media so people could follow me and I could say that to them. I'm going to take credit for it. Okay, go for it. I don't care. <laughs> You're not on Instagram, so I can post it. And people go, wow, that's deep. I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> deep Think thoughts, about this man. tonight. <laughs> Plagiarism. Don't be an idiot. That's real deep. <laughs> All right, final question for you. Uh, yeah. What about what, what about the stash? What do we do with this? Do I keep it or get rid of it? I say either add a beard or cut it. Because it's a very magnum PI. Uh, you know why I have it? My wife likes it. Really? Therese loves it. I don't know. You got to keep it. I know. I'm like, I told folks at church. Cause like there were some people complaining. Like, I don't know, man. I'm like, complain? I'm like, talk to her. She's the one who wants it. She wants the Magnum PI look. I don't right. care. I really don't care whether I have a goatee, a mustache and baby faced or, you know, a beard or whatever. So you look like you're becoming a CrossFitter, man. Yeah. Um, I, someone said I, I should keep it cause it fits where I live. Ah, when I throw mm. like the cowboy boots on and you know, you get a belt buckle and wear the plaid and throw the I got a cowboy hat, so maybe I don't know. We'll see. I can't wait to see. Yeah, let me know. Yeah, go to Culver's, take a picture. I want to see are the other guys having a stash oh. like that. I went to Culver's today, really. Oh, yeah. man. I don't know if I want to hear this. Double sourdough burger was fantastic. I usually just get the burger now because the fries are just extra calories. Okay. But that 680 calories in that oh, moment man. was worth it. Oh, it was dude. right after I worked out. <laughs> it burned off like 500 calories. And now I'm like, hey. See, I'm on a 1600 calorie diet. I can't do Culver's. Oh, 1600 is low, low. I'm, I'm wow. cutting down. And then I hope uh, that good. I can compete either by next summer or the beginning of 2024. I want to compete. And so hopefully USPA in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. In my first powerlifting competition. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, hoping to get there. So I'm putting together a little garage gym, trying to get my PRs up. That's great, man. Good for you. Yeah. Um, I my lifting dropped off. Um, and not that anyone else cares who's listening, but uh, it's gonna pick up 
because my daughter, when she swims, that's when I lift. And so go. her season came out. So I'm going to be back in the gym. All right, Eric, uh, your social media. So people yeah. want to follow you. They want to follow me. I am on um, Instagram. I had to pull it up so I would know. Um, it is underscore, underscore, big, underscore, Mac, M-A-C-C. Um, Twitter, my handle is Mick Zizzle. Um, don't ask. It was a youth ministry thing. Some people put me up to it, and I kept it. So M-C-Z-I-Z-Z-L-E. All right, Facebook, Mick Eric McIntyre. Yeah, they used to call me Minister <laughs> Mick Zizzle. Believe it or not, nobody calls <laughs> me Eric other than people at church. I know it's a yeah. church person or a work person. If they say Eric, people either say Mac, Big Mac, E, E-T, e bunch of stuff, but I've never been called Eric. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I always know where you're from. If you say Eric, I know where I know you from. Um, yeah. So yeah, That's connect awesome. with me. <laughs> you can follow uh, Cornfield Theology. Go to cornfieldtheology.com. That's where you will find all of our blogs and podcasts. Actually, uh, Eric and I did two podcasts from maybe two years ago now. Yeah. Um, one on biblical justice, another one on church planning. So you can check those out as well if you're intrigued. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I guess. Actually, if you go to Redemption Hill, DSM, and then you can find all the uh, Cornfield Theology stuff. That's how you will locate us. Actually, if you want to you want to receive the latest blogs when they drop, go ahead and go to the bottom of the of the website, cornfieldtheology.com. Put in your email. We don't spam you, but when a blog drops, it just heads, sets, goes right to your inbox. Uh, like I said earlier, I did one on the new fundamentalist, probably a blog that I got the most feedback on in, in probably a year or so, which is fan fascinating, actually. I'll be writing a part two on that here in the near future because the line for fundamentalism is moving and there's a new fundamentalism. If you want to know what I mean, go check out the blog. That's it for now. Thanks everyone for listening or watching on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate it. And if you got any comments or feedback, we would love to hear from you. Uh, take care and God bless. Bye. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.